if you if you were here or if you weren't if you were here, you experienced an incredible story. Remember the last week, the story of Jacoby, right? Just a powerful, powerful story. You know, I mean, I, I talked to so many of you, and people were like, this is the best church service we've ever been to in our life. And I'm like, wow, that's a huge statement, right? But it's awesome, because it was. We, we listened to the story of Jacoby, right? We listened to the story of his life as one who, who really was living in a state of, of emotional poverty, right? Living in a state of really physical poverty, and living in a state of, of true, authentic neediness, right? And in that moment, right, he was literally contemplating the ending of his life, and this, what is life all about and is God even really all sorts of stuff. He, now, he said a lot of things I'm probably adding because we talked to other times before but it's like it was a heart-wrenching story, right? Just hearing where he came from. And I love how he started out, right? He says, my name's Jacoby. I'm black. I work at Bojangles. And the last thing he said, I'm a son of God. What a beautiful picture, right? But in, in, the, in the thing we talked about last week is because Jacoby had this experience, right? An experience of generous living. He experienced the reception side of that. Remember, he was honest one day with Tyler Dameron. He said, Tyler, this is where I am. And Tyler goes, let me call my mom real quick because every smart kid knows you call your mom, not your dad, right? Let's be honest. Mom will make things happen or make dad do things, right? So Tyler calls, Tyler calls his mom and says, mom, here's what's going on. And immediately Rhonda calls and says, hey, We've got it set up. We've got a loan for you. It's a cheap and expensive, realistic loan for you so that you can keep your car, so you can keep your job. Hallelujah. Check, check, right? Massive movement of God in his life. And then she finds out he doesn't have a place to live because he's been kicked out by the only family that he knows. And all of his suitcases have been packed up, right? And she says to him, why don't you come and live with us? Remember his story. He said, hey, for two weeks I kept the lights on every night. Because I was just, I was afraid and I just kept on waiting. I just kept on waiting for them to get tired of the black kid in their house and kick me out. And finally it came, I knew they were going out of town. I'm just retelling the story for those of you who weren't here, right? Remember that moment where all of a sudden he says, and I knew they were going out of town and they needed to talk to me. And I knew who can trust the black kid in your house when you're gone out of town. Right? Who can trust a black kid? We've all said that. You've heard people say that before, right? Who oh, be careful when you leave out of town? Whoever it is, right? So anyway, so all they come and say, Jacob, we just want you to know our house is your house and everything in it belongs to you. You'd have free reign of the house. Remember he said, I walked through looking for video cameras, right? How funny was that, right? But this is this reality. That's his reality. It's his known reality. Living in a place of neediness, emotional poverty, right? Living in this place of brokenness. And he experienced, right? He experienced Christmas several weeks ago, right? This is what it's all about. And then we said, this is their life. It's this expression of generous living, right? Of generosity. And here's the idea. I want you to hear this about generous living or living in generosity. It's not, it's not a momentary charity act that we do. Generous living is not about an act of charity in a moment. It is about a natural lifestyle that just automatically flows from us as a simple expression of our life. When Rhonda was asked, why did you do this? She said, well, it was just the right thing to do, which is her way of saying, I really don't know. I just knew that it was what I felt like I was supposed to do because it was just flowing out of me. Listen, the damn, if you know them, if you don't, they're not rich. They, they don't, they're not rich. They don't have a whole lot of extra resources in their life, right? So you can say, well, the rich person can take care of them, right? No, they didn't have a whole lot of resources. They don't have a big house. 
It's costing them, right? And it's costing them discomfort because she can't walk around naked or he can't walk around naked in the house, right? No, it's like, you, you know what I'm talking about. These are all the things you think about. Oh, God, i got to put my, got to wear some clothes today. I can't go watch TV in my PJs, you know, with no bra on, right, ladies? It's like, no, you got something. Seriously, that's what you think about. It's just, it's life. It's, I'm not just being really brutally, that's not honest. That's honest conversation about people living in your house. It's generous living, right? And it just flowed from her naturally. It just flowed. Why? Because it was just the right thing to do. Another way of saying it is she's simply a Christ follower. That's the other way of saying it. She's just an authentic Christ follower. She's a Christian. Because Christ followers have the nature of their spiritual father. And he is a generous giver. He is a, he is a, he lives a life of generosity. How hellish do you think it was? We talked about it before. To leave perfection in heaven, to come to a fallen, sin-riddled world through a birth canal, to be completely, completely needy to parents and people who don't even know. And God's watching his son going, ooh, that is a dirty stable they're in. God didn't keep the cows from pooping when they were in the stable because it was a holy moment. They just did their thing. It was dirty. It was difficult. It was overwhelming. It was not a silent night. Have you ever been through birth? It was not a silent night. There was no epidural. There was no doctor even. It was real and authentic. And God looked down and said, that's what it means to live generously. I'm giving myself. That's what generous living is, right? We're giving of our time, our money, our energy, and our resources to those that are in need, right? Generous living is about giving our time, about giving our money, about giving our energy, and about giving our resources to those that are in need, not as charity, but as a lifestyle, a generous, natural outgrowth, a lifestyle of charity, right? I was talking to, I was sending an email back and forth to someone else this week, talking about how that looks like in their work world, right? Work world, business life. And this is what this person said about the employees, other employees they work with. He said, my heart breaks for the employees that I work with. They are living in poverty. Now, you can think spiritual poverty for some of you who live in, like, upper middle class world, right? But so, so they are living in poverty. Most of the women have several children are not married. They're riding the bus for an hour or longer just to get to work, and they can barely make minimum wage. Most of them claim to be Christians, but they have no idea who Jesus is. My passion is to see people saved, set free, which means healed and from past wounds, filled with the Holy Spirit, and filled with fire, living out the destiny slash calling and gifts that God has placed in, that God placed in them when He created them, just to know who they are in Christ and how much He loves them. Talk about a lifestyle of cher- a lifestyle of, of, of generous living or a lifestyle of charity or a lifestyle of generosity. Listen, listen, this is what it looks like for them every day at work. Yes, they're making the, they're making a dollar, right? They're working for someone. They're reaching their deadlines. They're doing the things they need to do, right? They may be even climbing some sort of ladder. God is it, right? Because God continues to increase and increase and increase, right? Give us, give us favor, right? They're walking in this. They said, but they said, every day for me is not dictated by that. Every day of my life is dictated by what I see in the 
spiritual and physical poverty are the very ones that I work with and I'm undone and I see my business life as simply an extension of my ministry of living generously with my time, my money, my energy, and my resources where I am with them. This is what defines nine to five for me every day of my life. Generous living is not just something that you do, it's who you are as a natural outgrowth of every moment of everything that you do, 9 to 5, and from 5 to 9. It's a gen, it's just who we are as a Christ follower. We see this level of generosity expressed, obviously, in God. And so, this, and you could like read through the Bible and find so many instances of, of generosity. If you really just went through and said, okay, God, I'm going to read the Bible for the next year through a, through the lens of generosity, you would realize that generosity actually is the defining characteristic of who God is. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's simply an expression of generosity and love for those that they're around. Right? It's an expression of love. The fullness of love, right? God speaking into those moments. God, his his full expression of who he is, is about generous living. Finding those who are living life and generously loving them and caring for them. We see, I'm going to take you all the way back to Leviticus 25, which I'm not going to read, and Deuteronomy 15. Okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All right? These are pretty early on. This is the early back and the early back, way back, way back, right? Time of Moses and all these people, right? That you've always talked about and never met. God speaks into the moment and he begins to reveal himself as a, as a, as a God of generosity who, who, who expects. Do you hear that word? We don't like that in our cultures. We don't like people to tell us what to do. All right, die to self, please. Expect God has expectations of His children. Do you have you have expectations of your kids? Do you? Well, He has expectations of you. So go ahead and embrace that reality. All right, God has expectations of His children. I'm going to in Deuteronomy 15 is an expression of His expectation of us. Okay, I'm going to read some of this. It's going to sound very political in nature. I'm just going to read from the Bible. All right, here it goes. Actually, I'm not going to read. I'm just going to tell you what he said. This is the story of the sabbatical year or the, in the year of Jubilee. The sabbatical year or the year of Jubilee. So we come into this Deuteronomy 15. What it means is this. Every seven years, listen, every seven years for the, for the people of God, right? The people of God. We call ourselves Christians today, but the people of God, the body of, the body of God, right? That our, that his body, us, right? Every seven years was the release from debt. It was a release when all debts were canceled, right? During the season, those who had previously sold their land to survive or they had mortgaged their land or who had even sold themselves into slavery because they couldn't pay off the loan, right? They were immediately, they were set free from every debt. They were freed from slavery and the land that had been sold would be given back to them. You got to recognize this land In the Old Testament, it represented personhood, familyhood. It represented family, represented their livelihood, represented their identity of who they were. Remember, when the 12 tribes were released, what did God do? He gave them land, right? He gave them land. If you don't understand the Old Testament, I'm just letting you know, land represented livelihood. It was, it represented their, it was their family, 
Their, their ability to thrive in their family, it was their source of money, it was their, their pride and their joy Look at what God had given them. Land represented personhood, identity. You know those, the moments you struggle with identity and all that kind of stuff? Land represented that for them. Who they were defined who they were. Okay, And so what he says is, every seven years, every seven years, I want to take every single one of you released from every debt that you have. No more mortgages. Throw them out the window. You are now free, right, from your mortgage. There's no debt, right? All of your school loans and everything else in life, right? Your credit card debt, gone, right? Fantastic. That back in the day, let me tell you how you would have been wise back in the old day. It's six days, 364, 303 years, six years, 364 days, you would have maxed out your credit card. Because the next day... It will all been canceled. That's what we're getting at. Seriously, it's that type of mentality. In fact, one, one of the testimonies in here says, don't harbor wickedness against your brother in the Old Testament. You remember that? That's a good Old Testament phrase. Don't harbor wickedness. It was directly linked to the year of Jubilee. If someone is loaned, you give a loan to someone in the middle of the sixth year, knowing that they can't repay it until the eighth year and you have to cancel it, don't harbor wickedness against them if they can't repay that loan, right? It's beautiful, the language they use here. My point is this. God comes and says, the economy of the kingdom is about releasing people from debt, about releasing people from utter poverty and ultimate neediness, It's about releasing people from the slavery that they live in. And it's to give them dignity and to take what ultimately should belong to them and give it back to them. This beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. In fact, even when you released a slave, think about this. When you released a slave, you didn't just go say, all right, you're released. Take the chains off. That's the mindset we have, right? But do we release them and say, all right, bye. No, no. We take a, listen. You would take a portion, according to the year of Jubilee, you take a portion of your flock and a portion of your goods and you give it to them as a gift on their way back to the land that you have to give their deed back to and it now belongs to them and you've just set them up with an opportunity to not just survive but to thrive. Three things we see in this. Number one, this is important for us. As you move forward and we think about vintage, we think about being a Christian and being a Christ follower and gen- generous living, I want you to write all of these down. I'm going, to be, I'm going to give you like 12 points this morning. It's fantastic. Write all of these down. Number one, God owns all things. That's the point of the year of Jubilee. God owns all things. If God has the ability to command you to give land back to somebody, you know why he can command it? Because it belongs to him in the first place. Listen, if I gave you a car today, I said, Ali, I want to give you my car. Right? It's my car for you. It's a gift to, it's a gift to you. Right? And I want you to use it freely. It belongs to you. Right? It's my gift to you. But as, your, as my gift to you, I want to put some stipulations on it. If you see someone needs a ride, you need to stop and you need to give them a ride. Okay? And if, and if Tom here needs to borrow your car, well, because I'm keeping a stipulation on it, if he needs to borrow it, you let him borrow it. Why can I say that? Because it's my car and I'm giving it to him. I'm entrusting it with him. I'm, in a sense, right, I'm lending it to him, but I'm giving, and he gets to use it freely, but there's stipulations. Why? Because when he dies, 
doesn't belong to him anymore. It comes back to me, and I give it to the next person and to the next person because the car of God's eternal too, and it never dies, right? How fantastic would that be? No lemon with Jesus, right? You had the car, give it away. That's what it looks like. This idea that everything that you, listen, everything that you have has just been lent to you by God. That's the point of Jubilee. He's making sure that you recognize that nothing actually belongs to you. That it actually belongs to God. And he can do whatever he wants to with it, which includes giving it back every seven years. Why? To those who need it more. So the second thing is I want you to hear this. This is going to be hard for some of us Republicans, right? Number two, it ensured equality among God's people. It ensured equality among God's people. If no human being actually has ownership of anything, if God owns it and simply allows us to use it for a time, then Jubilee was enacted so that no one person, a wealthy landowner, could accumulate too much and enslave an entire population by having a monopoly on land. And God says, listen, to make sure that there's equal opportunity, oh, don't use that phrase, Steve, that has, that has political, political backing behind it, right? Equal opportunity in the kingdom of God. Don't think governmental system built by man. Think kingdom of God, right? Then that God says there has to be equality among men. So every seven years I'm going to cancel debt, give person back their land and their resources. Why? So that they can actually have the means to live again so they can thrive. Do I mean equality in a communistic sense where every person's equal? No. In this God's economy, there's still private ownership of private property, right? There is still the ability to, to make goods and don't make money, all kind of stuff. But what it's saying is that each person and listen, has an equal opportunity to thrive. They may thrive at a different level, but by God, they're going to thrive, right? They're going to thrive. This is God's economy. It's him saying, listen, this is my plan for you. Every seven years, cancel debts, take away all that stuff. We're going to give land back. If you own the deed to someone's land, listen, if you go and buy 15 houses today, at the end of seven years, you're going to give it back to the person who originally owned it. That's kind of the picture why? Because it allows people, because how many, have you know someone just by accident or by a few bad decisions, by just one minute, lost everything? And they're now down here and they have no hope of getting here, right? The have-nots versus the have. The only thing that separates them is one decision. One decision that can lead to lots of other decisions, but it's one decision usually. And God's saying, I recognize that and I have grace. There's mercy on them. There is mercy. And so as the body, as the people of God, I want you to, as hard as it may be, because we love stuff, we love, we love ownership and personal ownership, right? I want you to, without compulsion, right, taking 60% of our taxes of the rich people, right, compulsion by government, I want you to use an act of your will, and your choice to give away 60%. Don't make me push the government to do something you should be doing naturally. Do you know God uses the government to do things, even in a broken sense, because we're not doing it as people of God? Just think about that when you think about government, okay? God uses them to do the things that he wants to do, even if they're broken. Why they're broken? Because it's in a government system and not through Jesus and the church, okay? So, God was helping people 
basically who could not help themselves by returning stuff. Third thing, it prevents permanent indebtedness and servitude. We release slaves, whether we're a slave to the man, right? In our work, you know what I'm getting at? We talk about slavery today, it looks different in America, but we're, we're like, listen, when you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a slave to the bank when you have a mortgage. Why? Because they really own your house. And if you don't make a payment, they can take it from you. There's a level of slavery. Scripture talks about that really clear, that when we're in debt to someone, we own, when we, we have to get, like when we, we're taking a loan for someone, we become their slave in that moment. Why? Because they have something of ours. And we're slavery, and so there's freedom again from it, right? The point is this. When we live in this this place of giving stuff back and giving stuff away and equal opportunity, what does it do? It allows people, enables people to avoid permanent and hopeless poverty. Here's what I want you to see. The year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is God's ideal like, you know what I mean by his ideal, his ideal circumstances, his ideal situation. The year of Jubilee is God's ideal for his people. It is God's ideal. Verse 4 promises. He says, there will, I didn't put it down, but just read it. Read it. Just listen along. It's real simple. It says, there will be no poor among them. Us, right? Be no poor among them, since the Lord will surely bless them if. Oh, here's the big if. If. They obey all of my commands, all of God's commands. Let's say that again. God promises, verse 4, Deuteronomy 15, There will be no poor among them, since the Lord will surely bless them if they obey all of my commands. What are we we obeying? Well, they were obeying the year of Jubilee and the sabbatical year, right? They were giving back everything, equal opportunity, coming alongside giving back to people everything that belongs to them, right? It's this nature, this economic economic situation that he created. Like, if we're continually giving away, no one's living in poverty. Why? Because we don't just give and wave. We give by coming alongside of them and helping them and loving them. Listen, we don't give acts of charity and expect them to be able to handle money when when they've always spin it. No, we come alongside of them and we love on them and we, we teach them and we bring them into our home and we go to, and we go, listen, and we leave our home and we go to their home, right? And we sit down and we, and we have hard conversations, right? That's what he's talking about. We're just, this idea of coming alongside of them. If we obey God's command, there'll be no poor. Therefore, and I want you to hear this, this is where we kind of shift gears a little bit, okay? So we're going to shift gears, it's about to get real exciting. Therefore, when we look at Deuteronomy 15, we see two things. Two things, right? Hook them horns. Any Texas fans in here? We see two things. Two things. What do we see? We see an idealistic statement of God's command. We see an idealistic statement of God's command to his people, right? And what will happen? We see the ideal of God. But just several, a couple of verses later, we also see a realistic reference to Israel's sinful performance. We also, we see his idealistic command in verse 4, if we will do it, we know poor. Then we see in verse 10 and 11, a realistic reference to Israel's sinful performance. Look at this, verse 10. God has just said, there'll be no poor among you. Verse 10. Give generously to him, the poor and needy, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord our God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hands to. And then in verse 11, but these two verses are only seven verses apart. There will always be poor people in the land. 
Therefore, I command you, be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. So God's having a personality crisis here. Because he's just said in verse 4, there'll never be poor among you. And then in verse 11 says, listen, there will always be poor among you. What the world are you doing? What is God saying right here? He puts an ideal out there, and this is, this is, this is where it gets amazing. I'm about to, you're about to have your world rocked right here in a second. God basically looked at and says, you can't do it. I'm giving you a command that you cannot fulfill. Therefore, I'm telling you, there will always be poor among you. There will be always be poor among you. And so, yes, for generations, this is the thing I want you to recognize. And here, do you know that the Israelites never actually embraced the year of Jubilee as an expression of who they were as a people of God? The year of Jubilee just became the smoke, just a pipe dream for them. They never actually did it. There were moments and seasons within their history. They embraced different parts of it. But in a holistic sense, they never actually did and embraced fully the Jubilee gift. The Jubilee year. They never actually did it. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. All right. Now, here's a question for you. Do you know the moment in the history of of the people of God, where they actually embraced this, uh, and, and that, that they did it in such a powerful way, right, that it, that it resembled and they fleshed out the year of Jubilee? Could someone just shout it out? Who said that? Right there. Sydney Bradley. Give it up for Sydney. Acts chapter, listen. Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 7 was the only time in the history of the church, in the people of God, in the body of Christ, that they actually, they actually fleshed out and embraced the Jubilee year. They actually embraced this. Let me just read some of this, right? Again, you can turn your Bibles to Acts 2.42, right? Just live here for the rest of your life, right? Starting in verse, two, verse 42 of chapter 2, write that down. Look at this whole chapter this week. I want you to hear this. Acts chapter 2, 42. They, the people of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? That's vintage 2.42, Acts 2.42. Everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, right? Signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, verse 44, we shift gears. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Actually, 42, right? Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, meaning they took the poor people home with them and went to poor people's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the result of that generous living and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 32. All, skip over a page. All the believers, all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of his or her possessions was his or her own, but they shared everything they had. Everyone say everything. 
With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in much grace, right? God's Spirit was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Deuteronomy 15 Verse 4, there will be no poor among you, right? There were verse 34, no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he or she had need. Now Joseph, who was Barnabas, which is called, means sons of, son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Hallelujah. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. This is what happens. Come on. This gets exciting. Why? Because all of a sudden, the people of God are actually able to fulfill this jubilee gift, and it's overwhelming, right? Listen. Theologians, theologians who most is a lot of times are just complete idiots, right? These theologians, right, they'll come along and they'll, and they say that this expression was something that was not sustainable, right? That it was just a, it was a unique moment in time and that we shouldn't worry about fulfilling it today, right? As if it's just too good to be true, it's not realistic, and it's not attainable, right? How many of you know your theology should never be defined by your experience of life around you? They were allowing their view of, of God to be defined by their experience around them rather than what God has been saying. Why? Because when I look at Scripture, when I look at Scripture, this expression of generous living, listen, it has always been God's ideal for God's people. How many of you know God never changes, right? If it was God's ideal over here, then it's God's ideal over here. He is the same today, tomorrow, and forever for eternity, right? If he sets something in motion as his ideal, then we never should say that it's just a unique, a unique moment in time, that it's not sustainable, that it's, not, it's, too, it's too idealistic. We should never say that what we should say is, God, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. Because my life is not marked as a natural lifestyle of generous living. That's what you seem to be naming in Deuteronomy 20, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15, and what the early church was able to experience here in Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 7. Do you know, and, here, and this is where I'm going to wreck your world, do you know what was different from Acts chapter 2? Between that point and Deuteronomy 15? Pentecost! That's what separated them. Pentecost! There was the moment, listen to this. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, Hey everybody, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And I'm going to send you the gift. What gift is that? The gift of my spirit. What's your spirit? Listen to this. This is the, this is the thing the, the prophets have waited for for thousands of years. You ready? I'm going to give you the same spirit. I'm giving you my spirit. The same spirit that lived in me, Jesus, is now going to live in you. What does that mean, Jesus? It means that you will have power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. And you know what else is going to do? It's going to empower you to actually, for the first time in history, fulfill the year of Jubilee. What's it going to look like? Oh, just watch and see. 
And all of a sudden, Acts chapter 2, Acts, Acts chapter 7, there were no needy among them. People's debts were forgiven. How? Because someone who had sold what they had and gave it to those who did not. What a beautiful gift, which simply means this. The church today, I'll just restate what I said earlier, still has the responsibility to live remembering, remembering that God owns everything. Right? That's number one right there. God owns all our stuff. That's what we're getting at, even in today's world, right? It's been, everything you have has been lent to you for a moment, right? But it belongs to him forever. Therefore, we are responsible, since it belongs to him, to do with it what he desires, which is called generous living. The second thing, we're still responsible to ensure equality among God's people. Does it literally mean that you're going to give someone back land? No, you don't have the power to go to the bank and take back their deed. But it means in some, in some new wineskin type level, in some new way, in your personal life, in your relationship with Jesus, you listen and figure out what it means for you to come alongside of someone who has greater need than you. Listen, how many of you, listen, how many of you think that you're the neediest person that you know? How many, how many of you think that you are the neediest person that you know? How many, my point is, how many of you are living aware every moment of every day of someone who is much more needy than you are? If we don't have those needy people in our lives, as in, I don't mean needy, like, hey, 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 come, 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 no, but those who are literally living disempowered, those who are the have-nots and cannot, don't know how to get to the has, right, don't know how to bring equality, We have a call of God to ensure equality, which means we have to wake up our own selfishness, right? Our old man, be awakened to our new man, which is what? Being aware of those who are in need, God leaving heaven to come to earth and modeling that in our lifestyle, right? Of bringing equality. Listen, I don't care what you believe politically. God believes in equal opportunity. He just expects the church to lead the lead the charge in that. Not some sort of filibuster going on up there in Washington, D.C. God loves equal opportunity. Third thing, God's responsibility is to prevent, prevent indebtedness and servitude by coming alongside of the poor and enabling them to avoid permanent and hopeless poverty. How do we do this, Steve? How do we do this? By being a Christ follower, which we said means living generously with all that we have living sacrificially every moment of our life. But there are some things that we need to learn from the book of Acts. There's obviously, there's obviously a lot more than a few things. I'm going to name three, okay? You get to go learn some more this week in your own study time. What can we learn from the book of Acts? Let me just say, let me just put some, let me put some phrases to it to kind of to entice you into the moment. The greatest revival the world's ever known. I've been praying for revival since I was 14, 14. I've been praying for it for 25 years. I'm believing God and praying for revival, a renewal in God's church. I've been praying for it, right? I'm not looking for an old wineskin. Listen, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Right? Forget the former things. There's a new wineskin. There's a new. Let me say, this is where I need you to hear me. For those of you, God spoke to me very clearly this week about what the coming revival looks like for the church. He told me it was very clear, very clear, taken here. 
And it's all around the year of Jubilee. And it's all around the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 7, right? Number one thing that we, we learn, we have to embrace, generous living, right? A life of generosity, a life of charity, like we talked about the Damrons, right? It's just who we are, right? Generous living is birthed out of Jesus. How do I, yeah, generous living is birthed out of Jesus or out of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Out of just a real awakening moment, I don't know, about six months ago, and I was thinking about, you know, all these things I really want for vintage and who I want us to become. And like, we need to be this. We need to be missional and be out here in the community and doing this. And all of a sudden it just hit me. What motivated the church of Acts to revival? What caused them to, to move? Yes, a little bit in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but primarily what defined them as a community was generosity and generous living and living and giving their lives away. What, what compelled them to do it, right? Simple. The coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Pentecost came. The Holy gift of the Holy Spirit was given, right? Every single person who is a believer in Christ, what happened in their life? The Holy Spirit came and took residence on the throne of their heart. And then every day they could experience a new Pentecost every moment with a new infilling of the Holy Spirit every day. Because every day I wake up to a new day in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus. I wake up every day to the beautiful face of my wife. And every day is a new day for us, right? And every day I wake up looking at the face of God saying, Jesus, bring a new feeling. I'm just filled with love for you again. I'm filled with new joy. I'm filled with new heartache because of life. And I need you today, right? Every day is a Pentecost. Every day is a filling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's inexhaustible. And he has more to give us than we've ever tapped into. What am I saying? You need Jesus. Every day. As if he is new to you every moment of every day. And when that happens, you know what it, you know what it creates? You, listen, I'll just get, here's the, here's the test for you. You know, how do I know, Steve, if I'm walking with Jesus? It's real simple. Your life is marked by generosity. Everywhere that you go. That you can't help but love. You can't help but give your life away. You're sitting there in a moment, someone shoots you an email, and you take it personally because you know God's calling you to come alongside of that moment and help them. You just, you just feel compelled to do it, right? Yes, we have all this stuff. That's how we know. That's how we know if the Holy Spirit's in us. Why? Because we are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Listen, patience. You're filled with patience. Those people, those needy people you don't like because they annoy the, they annoy you, right? It's like, all of a sudden, boom, you're just filled with patience and you can't help but love them, right? Generous living is birthed out of Jesus moving in our lives. Second thing, generous living is what birthed revival. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, 42, 47 real quick. I'm just going to go through, okay? On this side, and I want you to hear this, okay? I'm about to give a both and, not an either or, okay? But I do want to give kind of a, I do want to kind of put them in categories right here. And you're still going to stay in a minute. The text, let me just read this and I'm going to do it. The text in Acts, chapter 2 through chapter 7, repeatedly relates the transformed economic relationship in Jerusalem church to their phenomenal evangelistic outreach. Basically, when the year of Jubilee became the, the deciding characteristic of them economically, thousands of people were added to their numbers daily, right? Look at this. Acts 2.42, kind of, so this caveat over here is working of miracles, signs and wonders, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? This over here is simply going to be generous living, okay? Right here we go, 40, 40, 40 no, where is my, I'm in chapter 4, chapter 2, 42. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's generous living. Everyone was filled with awe. I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure it's because of generous living or because of the miracles. We don't really know. But everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Fantastic. Revival means that signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to be present. Why? Because that's how he expresses himself. and how he points to himself. Signs and wonders point to a destination. He brings them. Why? To point to him. Okay? So put that over here. Okay? 43. Everyone was, excuse me, 44. All the believers were together, had everything in common. Okay? We put that in generous living pile over here. Uh, selling uh, their possess- yeah, yeah. selling possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, generous living. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's generous living. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, right? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I want you to hear me say is this. When the Holy Spirit comes and Pentecost comes, signs and wonders will come. That's all going to be great. But the deciding factor of what revival actually is, is when your life is marked by generosity. God told me very clearly this week. I don't use that. I don't say that very often. God said to me, okay? God said to me very clearly this week. You know why, you know why revivals did not make it, Steve? Throughout the, throughout the generations? I said, why? I'd love to know that. He said, because they stopped with the miracles and the signs and wonders and thought that was revival and forgot that signs point to a destination. What's the destination, Father? Generous living. Generous living, a life of generosity. Listen, if I, go, if I walk into a church that's moving all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and there's prophecies and tongues and, or interpretation of tongues and healings and prophetic words and they're not nice to people and they don't love and there's no generosity and they're actually helping the poor and helping the needy, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave. Why? Because they've stopped in their journey and have not actually gotten to destination because signs point to Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you know what he looks like? He looks like death. He looks like coming from heaven to earth and God incarnate. He looks like giving his life away sacrificially on the cross. And it looks like loving people to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, live, and loving them well, and taking the year of Jubilee, and taking those with equal opportunity, and bringing them from poverty to life. Let me tell you how I know what revival looks like. It means there are no poor and needy among us. That, my friends, if you've been praying for revival like I have for over 25 years, that's what it looks like. It looks like Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Yes, there's a little bit of the miraculous and the miracles, and we want those. It's a both and, but it's a whole lot of generous living, sacrificially living, giving my life. Let me tell you something. If, let me tell you what. Let me kind of just, I'm going to put it practically speaking. I'm going way over, so I apologize, okay? But hear me. I'm not done. Can you imagine in, 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 in Acts, this whole side over here is living in poverty. Right? And one day they're walking by Solomon's colony, they're walking by the temple, and they look in and they see a bunch of crazy people just hugging on one another, praying for one another, singing songs, doing all kinds of stuff. And all of a sudden they walk in, someone walks up and immediately just, just embraces them, brother, and gives them a holy kiss because you did that back then, right? And bring them in. All of a sudden they're looking like, this is crazy. And all of a sudden someone gets up there and says, there are any poor and needy among us? And you're like, Yes, that's me. It says, come forward. It says, like, what? Here is a gift for you. We've taken up all of these resources, and this now belongs to you. Now, 
Oh, fantastic, but that's not enough. Will you come to my house? Would you break bread together with me? Would you go to the apostles' teaching with me? Would you pray with me? Would you enjoy fellowship in my home today? Yes, I would. That's you're, but you're really wealthy, and wealthy don't ever relate to the poor. Yes, but there are no poor in God's eyes, and there's no wealthy in God's eyes. There's just they're just followers. They're just Christ followers. Would you come with me? Yes, we go to my house, right? They had this incredible moment, learn about Jesus, and what does this poor person do? They go back to their community. You know what they say? Man, there's some crazy things going on, but those people loved me, and look what they gave me, and I can't help but say, I'm now in love with Jesus because he's just met all of my needs, and I'm undone, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, can I get them that too? Yes, come with me. And thousands were added to their number daily. Why? Because people were leaving in their life of generosity, going to those who had greatest need, coming alongside of them, giving of their resources, loving them, blessing them, bringing them into their life. And all of a sudden, like, I just can't help but be compelled to be part of your life. Signs and wonders point us to the destination. They are not the destination. Number three. Generous living, and hear this, it was natural. It was not compulsory. The apostles didn't get up and preach my message that I'm preaching today. They didn't. It was like they were sitting there one, one day, and all of a sudden, people started bringing stuff and say, we don't know what's going on, but we just feel, we feel the Holy Spirit rising inside of us. Hear this. Do you know what the Holy Spirit was rising inside of them? They looked at the broken and the hurting, and they were broken and they hurt. That's how you know the Holy Spirit's come, because you can't help but be broken and hurting for the have-nots. And you're compelled to action and to do something. So Acts 2, 42 through 2, 47, do you know what happened? The apostles go, whoa, whoa, okay, 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 okay. Bring it all in. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out, we'll figure out what to do with it. We didn't expect this. We weren't believing for this. We didn't pray into this. It just happened. The, the sign of the Holy Spirit in you is that you're tired of keeping your money in your pocket and you just want to give it away. That's when you know the Holy Spirit has come. You're tired of all of your money for your own sake, and you're tired of consumeristic Christmas, and you just want to give it all away and help those that are in need. You know what th- that, that equals? Christ follower. Because that's what he did. There was, it was natural. It was not compulsory. In fact, we see in Acts 5, 4, don't turn there. But and remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They sold their field and said they sold it for this amount. But they actually sold it for a much larger amount, but they wanted to get the glory. How many of you have been to a church where you get glory by giving something and you get special treatment because you gave a lot of money? Hellish, right? Acts chapter 5, 4 says, hey, there's no comp- we, didn't comp- we didn't compel you to do that. So why are you, why are you pretending? Why are you, like, you can keep your property. You don't have to sell it. There's nothing, there's nothing in us we're telling you you have to sell your property. Property belongs to you. There's no compulsion to selling this property, right? Sharing was voluntary. Sharing was voluntary. No compulsion. No manipulation, right? 
in the season of the Holy Spirit being poured out, love for brothers and sisters was so overwhelming that many freely abandoned, freely abandoned, freely as choice, as a desire of their will, abandoned legitimate claims to private possessions. Chapter 4, verse 32. No one said that any of the things which he or she possessed was his or her own. We have to die to our greatest idols of money, of time, of energy, and of resources, which means we have to die to comfort. So with all this being said, let me be clear and concise. I'm going to read what I've written here. The coming revival that God dreams and imagines for his church will look like it did in the early church. Signs, wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit will be present, but they won't be the focus. The focus and the test, if it is truly revival, will be if people are living generously as a lifestyle without compulsion, but moved wholly and completely by love for one another, love for God, and love for neighbor. The year of Jubilee was not a pipe dream of God for God's people. It is, and it always has been, his expectation and the very thing he is moving his people towards. So let me write down five things, practical things. This is weighty, I understand. You're like, how does this happen, Steve? How do we do this? Number one, if you're not a Christian, get saved. Give your life to Christ, right? But if you are, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, right? Ask him to fill you. Say, Holy Spirit, today, fill me with your love, right? Fill me with your compassion. So ask for grace, number two. Ask for grace or God's ability to love like he does. God, I'm not like this naturally. Help me. Help me, God. Help me. Give me grace, right? He said, you can't do it in your own strength. If you do, you get frustrated. How many of you get frustrated helping people? You get frustrated no, we need the Holy Spirit. We need his grace. Number three, expect to die to yourself. Expect to, to die to yourself, your, of your ownership, to your stuff, your time, your money, your energy, and your resources, right? Expect, number four, to begin moving towards generosity, right? Expect and begin. So expect yourself. God, I expect to begin moving towards generosity, and I'm going to begin taking those steps. We've said before, when we obey God, he empowers our next step, right? So expect and begin moving towards generosity, asking the Holy Spirit to move. Number five, expect, uh, expect to be, I should say, expect to be blown away by God's goodness, his joy and favor in your life. Expect to be blown away by God's goodness, joy, and favor in your life. Let me tell you something. Tell me the people in the book of Acts weren't happy. Tell me they didn't feel gratification and satisfaction in their life. Tell me. They didn't feel full and whole and complete fighting for equal opportunity for those who did not have it. Tell me that their life was not filled with a joy that none of us understand fully. Tell me this isn't revival. Tell me that Acts 2.42 through 2.47 isn't better than any revival that's ever hit the world. The other closest one may be, may be with John Wesley on the island of England. When the entire island heard about Jesus because of him leaving his four walls and going and preaching in and preaching to the poor and giving all of himself to them. Listen, I dare you to read some messages by John Wesley. I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, he says, call me a liar if when I die, you find no possessions in my holding. 
which basically means I've committed and told you I will keep nothing for myself when I die because I'm giving everything away. And when he died in his home, in his home, all he did have a home, but all you found were some spoons that had belonged to his great grandmother. And that was it. The kind of extra, extra stuff, extra stuff. He had a house. He had he had a bed. He had the things you need to live off of. Right. He had food, his necessities of life. But beyond that. He had some spoons because they were family heirlooms and nothing else. So, here's what we're doing. Today, when you leave, we have a form, right? Where's that? It's about the front door. We're doing our Jubilee gift. This is our attempt to begin diving into this expression of giving our stuff away, not owning it, giving it away to those who have greater need than we do. Next week, right? You're going to come. You're gonna, this morning when you leave, here's what I'm going to say. Number one, if you are a person, this is all I'm going to say about this, my expectation. If you are a person who has real and authentic need, if you are a person who has real and authentic need, I want you to take one of those forms. I want you to fill it out. Okay? What are the parameters on that, Steve? Well, you need to pray and ask the Lord about that. What is the real and authentic need that you have in your life. Yes, we're not, of course, we're not going to go buy you a new car, right? Like, a, like I've got to have, have this car, but I'm going to buy a new one. I'm not going to buy you a car, right? We're going to give you the necessities of life that you have, needs, right? Needs, this is where I am, right? I have a real authentic need. If you don't know if it's a real authentic need, then you pray about it and ask the Lord. If the Lord isn't uber clear in that, which I think he will be, then you go to someone that you trust and say, can I be honest with you and have a conversation with you? I'm going to this thing on Sunday. And would you pray with me and talk with me through this need that I'm naming? Do you think it's real and authentic? All right. Just to help someone come alongside in community and come alongside and help you decide that, okay? Bring it back. How much are we going to pay? I have no idea. Why? Because I don't know how much money is going to come in, right? I can't sit here and say, yes, we're going to cover this amount of money in Jubilee gift, right? $30,000 in the Jubilee gift. Well, I don't know that because what if only $30,000 comes in total? We have two other things to give to. I don't know. I know we committed as a leadership team this past week to take every single dime that we have in our um, benevolence fund and put it straight towards that also. Okay, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So all benevolence funds have been taken straight to that to put to this. We have, we have at least $6,000 we know are going towards authentic needs and real authentic needs, right? We're going to take that. So next week, so you're going to take that form, fill it out. If you're more than welcome to bring it up this week and drop it off, it would be great to know in advance what those needs are going to be. And so next Sunday, you're going to take that, and we're going to take up our year-end offering. Okay? So next week, you're going to come. You're going to pray about it this week and say, God, without compulsion from Steve, without me guilting manipulating you, what would you have me give towards the needs of the people in my, in my family, towards the family in India, and towards our church plant family down in East Cobb? God, what would you have me give, right? Sacrificially, right? Sacrificially giving. I'm not asking for your tithe that you give as a monthly thing. I'm asking for above and beyond what you normally give to vintage, okay? And you're giving that gift in obedience to Jesus. Then that Sunday, we're going to take all that money, and we're going to Put it where it goes, and then we're going to take your bills, and we're going to see how much money has come in for the Jubilee gift. And then we're going to write checks out beginning of next week, and we're going to let you know when you can come pick those up. And then we're, going to, we're not going to write you any money personally. We're going to pay specific bills, okay? We would say this. Uh, one this caveat, um, we like to pay bills specifically or something that has a bill to it, okay? We're not comfortable just giving money out to anybody, even though we know you and love you. 
And three, if you have a credit card bill that you use to pay for something kind of above and beyond, like a medical bill that you didn't know was coming, we can pay that chunk of your credit card bill. So you just need to bring us that bill with it highlighted about how much that is, okay? So come. If you have questions this week, just feel free to call, shoot an email. We'll answer any of those. But it's pretty self-explanatory. If you have a real authentic need next week, fill out a form, bring it back. We cut you a check. And, and if there's something that we're like, uh, not real comfortable with, we're going to let you know and say, hey, sorry we couldn't do this. We love you, uh, but we don't feel comfortable doing this. And you have to be comfortable with us saying that, okay, because you just have to be. And so with that, there you go. God's I said a lot this morning. I don't know. I probably did about six messages in one this morning. I'm okay with that. I want you to go back and listen to it this week. I want you to go back and read your notes. The whole part is this. This is what God said to me very clearly. Steve, I'm bringing revival. But I'm not bringing an old wineskin. I'm bringing a new wineskin. Something you've never seen before and you don't understand fully. But it's going to look like it did here because generous living is ultimately what I'm bringing to my body. And every other part's going to be a both and, guys. Don't worry. Make the best of the best of the old and bring it into the new, right? But it's going to be the it's going to be this new thing. It's going to be expressed in generous living, out of compulsion, not out of compulsion or manipulation or guilt, but out of the work of the Holy Spirit. But you have a responsibility in this to say, Holy Spirit, come and to relate to Him. Because let me tell you something: if you're not with Jesus. And if you don't spend time with him and you don't and you don't long for his presence and and long to be with him and actually give yourself to him. So that he can give himself back to you, then there's not going to be this in this movement. You're going to have to engage Jesus, spend time with him. Have an intimate knowledge of him and, and ask his Holy Spirit to move. Let's pray.